Let's get back to Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. On the phone, we have legendary former Kentucky coach, Joe B. Hall. How you doing this afternoon, Mr. Hall? Hey, I'm doing fine. How are you? Great. We're doing a little better than Kentucky this is this year with all those great well, reports. Well, do you know, everybody has their ups and downs. And uh, we'll be back up. This uh, playing uh, all freshmen, anyone that uh, has worked with young players, knows that they're very much up and down. Well, life used to be a lot simpler. You used to have the freshman team, and they had to, to yeah. wait until they were sophomores before they could play. But That's right. A, a different world exists nowadays. Were those well, days better was, when you... Yeah, I think it was better, David, having uh, freshman teams, letting them make the adjustment not only to the escalation of basketball and the competition, but making adjustments of being away from home, uh, accelerated academics, a different social environment. Those were a lot of stresses on young people. And then you add to that big-time basketball, having to compete and protect the reputation and the tradition of a great program like Kentucky, that's an awful lot of pressure and responsibility to assume as freshmen. And uh, it's an up-and-down world for them. Plus, you put uh, 20 pro scouts in the first four rows of the arena and know that you're there to impress them. And uh, it means... Uh, Lifetime of security for you. Uh, that's that is just unbelievable pressure. How did you end up going to Kentucky when you played there? Uh, I was so odd. The uh, I was the youngest guy on the team. I was uh, there with uh, Army and Navy and Air Force veterans. That uh, one of them had been the German prison camp was about 26 years old. All of them were, uh, or several of them, were Army veterans of uh, the Second World War. And uh, it was accumulation of players over a four-year period where they hadn't been able to play. So there was just a lot of big-time tough competition at Kentucky. Well, one of your teammates, Ralph Beard, was, you know, one of the, the most revered, greatest players in Wildcats history. You had Alex Broza, Wallace well, you, Jones, you know, yeah. some pretty good talent back, back on the yeah. Jimmy Rollins uh, was the captain of the team. He was a Army veteran, and Cliff Barker was uh, the old man of the team. He had had a career in Army and... Uh, had been a German prison camp. So they were a very mature group, uh, although uh, Beard and Jones were high school players, but they were in their junior year, the year that I was on the bench with them. What was it like playing for Adolph Rupp? It was a great experience. Coach Rupp was uh, 
a man of great organization. Of uh, he made the the game of basketball something very important, and you learn to uh, he get the most out of you. You learn to play at your hardest. He had great inner squad competition that made you uh, uh, being as sharp as you could be every day in practice. If you didn't, you fell behind. But uh, he was well organized for his day. He brought fast break basketball to Kentucky in an electrifying style of play that captivated the fans and uh, made him uh, world famous for his style of ball at that time. What made you decide to leave Kentucky uh, for greener pastures? I wasn't uh, getting to play. I was, uh, the my sophomore year, Coach Rupp brought in something like 15, 16 freshmen, and seven of them were guards. And they were all staters from all over the country. And I could see my playing time diminishing. And uh, I transferred to Sewanee for the opportunity to play, and that was a, a great experience. Did Coach Rupp ever hold it against you that you transferred? No, sir. I went in and talked to him and told him that uh, I wasn't helping the team and that he could have my scholarship, and I asked him if he could find a place I could transfer to. And uh, he he contacted me back in a couple of days and had me a scholarship at Duke and one at Xavier. And uh, I heard the coach from Suwami being interviewed, and uh, he was looking for a guard in Kentucky and said that his school had a transfer rule that you could play immediately. So I called Coach Rupp back and asked him, I said, do you know this Lon Varnell at Suwami? And he said, yes, that he spent a year observing our program. And uh, he said, would you go to Swami? And I said, yes. I said, he said I could play immediately. And so Coach Rupp called him, and he called me back, and that's where I wound up. Otherwise, you would have been in the backcourt with what, Dick Grote at Duke? I would what? You would have played with Dick Grote at Duke otherwise. I, I guess, yeah. Duke was just building a program at that time. And uh, they were uh, not well known for basketball, that is. Now, you, Bob Knight, and Dean Smith are, I believe, the only coaches to have won an NCAA championship as a player and as a coach. Who, well, who of that's the three, a, of the that's three a of little who, bit. David, that's a little bit of a misnomer. I was on the squad that won the national championship, but I left at midterm. I never competed in the championship. That people have assumed that because my picture is on the team that won the championship. But Bobby Knight didn't play much on those championships either because when you have uh, John Havlicek or Jerry Lucas – there's not much to play. 
Well, they they always bring me back when they honor that championship, and I I appreciate it. And the players wanted me back, but uh, uh-huh. I I left mid year that year. Okay, so among you, Bob Knight and Dean Smith, who who is the best basketball player? I guess Dean, in my estimation, would have been. And then you played for the Globetrotters. What was that like? No, no, I didn't play for the Globetrotters. I toured with <laughs> the Globetrotters. Let's get all this straightened out. Go ahead. <laughs> I toured with the Harlem Globetrotters in the summer of 51, and I was on a group of players that played preliminaries. We played the local national teams in the countries where we toured. And we, my group played 56 games in 58 days. And we won all but four of them. We played in two international tournaments, one in Geneva, Switzerland, and one in Milan, Italy. We won the one in Geneva and beat the Italian team that had beaten us in Milan. But uh, it was a great experience. I was on uh, travel with Jesse Owens, who traveled with us, Goose Tatum, Marcus Haynes, Josh Greider, Sam Wheeler, Rookie Brown, all of the great Globetrotters of that era. So why did you give that up? That sounds like a lot of fun. It was wonderful, but it was just for a summer tour. As a matter of fact, we were in Nice, France, and on our way to Berlin. And the State Department called us back and took our visas up because of the uh, Sugar Ray Robinson had had a uh, match in Berlin, and he had to get under the ring to avoid the the debris that was thrown at him. And there was an anti-American feeling there. So all of us young guys that were on the touring team, they called us back. Or we would have gone on and played for another month. And then you get into coaching. How, where Where is Regis University? It's in Denver, Colorado. Okay. It was 650 students. I went there as the assistant coach, and after one year, I became the head coach. And at that time, we were a, a small division NCAA school. And after one year, I, I went major college, and I had to play a major college schedule with 650 students in the school. But we beat uh, Arizona, Arizona State. We beat Hank Iba at Oklahoma oh, State. Man. We beat uh, Denver University six out of eight times we played them. We beat Colorado State. We beat Idaho State, Montana State. We lost to Dayton. We lost to Dayton when they had Shimalewski and Westerkamp and the Haddons. We lost to Detroit when they had Debusher. 
We played in the National Catholic Tournament against St. Bonaventure and, uh, and, uh, Bob Rainier. Yeah. Yeah. Creighton when they had Paul Silas. Oh, geez. That's, that's some pretty tall talent you were going up against. Yes. Well, I loved competition and I felt that with a little known school, to be able to show that kind of schedule to recruit, I could recruit players that had an ambition to compete at that level. And that just made us a better ball club. What, what was Hank Iba like at Oklahoma A&M after you beat him? He was one of the most gracious men that I ever met in my life. I served on two Olympic trials uh, programs when he was the coach of the Olympics. He was one of the nicest, most detailed, disciplined, organized man that you'd ever be around. And, uh, it was, it was so gracious of him. The students carried me around the court after we beat them and he followed them until he could reach up and shake my hand. I thought it was the most gracious gesture. I've ever seen from a coach. Yeah. And, and I got a telegram from Coach Rupp after we won that game. Well, <laughs> well that, that was one of Coach Rupp's big rivals, I would assume, back in the day. You know? Yeah, they were in the race for the most victories for a coach. And for me to give his adversary a loss, well, that excited Coach Rupp. Why did you go to Central Missouri then? I, they uh, de-emphasized. I had some scholarships at Regis, and they decided that they wanted to go back to a minor division. So I left, and uh, I got the offer to follow Gene Bartow at Central Missouri. I took that job. Coach Rupp, a couple of years early, had offered me a, an assistance job, but I loved uh, being a head coach, and I took the Central Missouri job. Then I was at a clinic that he was given in St. Louis, and he saw me in the crowd and motioned me to come up with him to his room, and he offered me the job as his first assistant, and I couldn't turn that down. Now, going back to Kentucky, did you know that you would take his place when he had to retire? Not at all, and I had no dream of that, but I stayed seven years, and uh, and then uh, after he retired, uh, then the job was offered to me. But not until that he retired did I have hopes of being the head coach. Is it hard? I had people that had, I had people that had supported me for it, but I had no assurance from the the president or the head of the university that I'd be the head coach. Is it hard going from a head coach to an assistant? Not. When you go from the level I was head coaching <laughs> to the level of a Kentucky, 
it was very exciting. And uh, I loved that competition. I loved the success of the Kentucky program. And uh, it uh, it was most satisfying. Had the level of pressure and interest in Kentucky basketball grown over, over that decade plus that you had been away from the program? Oh, yeah. Yes, it had. And uh, the good thing about being Coach Rupp's assistant for seven years, I fully understood the pressures. And that never bothered me when I coached. I knew the demands of the fans. I knew the... Uh, uh, criticism and the, that you would get from the media and the, from the fans. But thank goodness we didn't have uh, cell phones and, and Twitters and <laughs> Facebooks and those things. Did you realize that one of the guys you were coaching would become a great NBA coach in Pat Riley? Uh, I, you know, I, I was the assistant coach. When Pat and Louis Dampier, uh, the rupture runs were in the national finals. That was a great experience, and they were a wonderful athletes. Pat, I always said that you give me five Pat Rileys, and we can beat anybody in the world. He was that good of an all-around basketball player and a terrific athlete. One of great courage, one that withstood intimidation, one that uh, was uh, uh, the epitome of competitor. He didn't have the wardrobe back then that he has now, did he? Oh yeah, yeah. He drove. <laughs> uh, he drove a nice car and had uh, good dudes. He was a class act. When you were. With the Olympic trials, who are some of the players that you uh, helped coach? Well, I was with them uh, two different times. I, I coached the Capitol Federal team in the AAU finals, and uh, Larry Brown played for Akron Goodyear, and they beat my team in the trials, and uh, their coach became the assistant Olympic coach. And I became a trials coach. And, uh, oh, I had Luke Whitty and James Burr. I had Lonnie Wright, Kozell Walker, um, a good bunch of, uh, kind of second rate players from the AAU. And, uh, I had, uh, several of the Philip Oilers. I had Larry Percival. I had Bobby Rasco. And for a while, I had Jerry Ship and Charlie Bowerman. But after a scrimmage in which we beat the AAU stars, they took Bowerman and Ship away from me and put them on the the stars. We were called the Stripes. You did too good a job of coaching. Yeah, <laughs> but we played in uh, Jamaica, New York in that trials in I guess it was 64. And then I was, uh, a trials. No, wait a minute. That was, yeah, it was 64. Then I was a trials coach in, 
Air Force Academy, and I had, uh, let's see, if I, I don't think I had a player that made the Olympic team that year, but I had uh, Rick uh, Washington from American U that was a great rebounder. Mm-hmm. I had Luke Whitty from Ohio State. Um, oh, gosh, I, I can't remember all of them. But Swim uh, Nader was in that group. Okay. And that was in the Olympics. Of course, uh, Collins and uh, Tom McMillan. And uh, that was a team that got beat by the Russians on the controversial right. administration of the game that gave the Russians three chances. If you remember that, right. I, I remember it well. So, Doug yeah. Collins remembers it well too. <laughs> yeah. Well, they never uh, they never picked up their silver medal. Do you miss the days of Olympics basketball when it was the amateur players rather than uh, yeah, an NBA yeah, All Star team? I think it it was uh, different. And uh, I liked it when they took uh, the NCAA champions and the AAU champions and put them together and made a team. You had more of a team attitude than trying to work in all all stars. But uh, the situation got so that our Olympic team was competing against what was basically professionals in Europe. And so uh, going to professionals, I think, was a good move on our part. You were on, on the sidelines <clears throat> for the Kentucky-Texas Western uh, championship yes. game. Did you realize yes. that that was a, a, a historic moment? Not at all. Not any more than a NCAA final game. It was, uh, there was never a black-white mention going into that game or for years after. But it became an issue later on. But, uh, no, we didn't, uh, see it as significant social, uh, happening. Because in Chicago, a couple of years earlier, the Loyola Ramblers won the championship and they had four black players start. Yes, I remember that team very well. They had a little white guard named Egan. Yeah, Johnny Egan. Yep. Johnny Egan and your Jerry Harkness, Vic Rouse, Les Hunter. I'm gonna... Yeah, I remember that team very well. But we had uh, we had played against uh, African American players on many occasions, and it never. It had never been an issue. When you got well, when you got the job as a head coach, did you have to interview and go against other people, or were you uh, handed the job? When uh, when I became the, the head, head coach, coach, yes, uh, I didn't need an interview. They knew me well. I don't uh, I don't think there was another applicant. Everybody wanted to follow the man. Who followed Ruff? <laughs> no one wanted to be the person that followed Adolf Ruff. So, so 
so I kind of had it to myself. But I think it was a lot of people felt that I was going to be named Coach Rupp's successor. Uh, I had been uh, on the bench with him for seven years. We'd had great success. And uh, I'd done the bulk of the recruiting. And uh, it was... uh, it wasn't anything that was promised to me, but uh, I had taken the St. Louis job for five days. And uh, let's see, I think it was three years before. And uh, they had broken several uh, parts of my contract, so I got them to nullify it. You make it sound like the transition from assistant to head coach at Kentucky was relatively painless. Is is yes. that accurate? Yeah, I think it was painless. There certainly about, wouldn't be anything painful about being named the head coach at Kentucky. How about from the fans? Uh, I think there was a feeling of uh, that there was going to be failure from whoever – took Coach Rupp's place. I think it was more about, among the opponents of Kentucky that were relieved and said, well, now this will uh, even up the conference. Things will be easier for us once he's gone. And uh, that was uh, kind of a feeling. Maybe there were even some uh, close backers of Coach Rupp that felt that whoever followed him shouldn't succeed as respect for Coach Rupp. <laughs> and uh, there was uh, – it certainly wasn't an easy job. No, you're right. And then you were going against Louisville with Denny Crumb. So you so you were a Adolf Rupp disciple, and uh, Crumb was a John Wooden disciple. You had a lot of uh, knowledge you guys got from those guys. Oh, well – Danny Crum and I were good friends from the start. Uh, we crossed paths recruiting. We, uh, when I was an assistant at Kentucky and he was the head coach at Louisville, I had great respect for Danny and, uh, not only as a coach, but as a, as a human being. And, uh, we got along fine. We had, we had such similar interests. Both of us were avid fishermen. We had both fished all over the world. We had uh, both been avid duck and goose hunters. And whenever we crossed paths, that's usually what we talked about was fishing and hunting. You, you never asked him where he got some of those plaid sport coats? Oh, yeah. Yeah, those, <laughs> those leisure suits that he was famous for. You had success early on reaching the Elite Eight in your first season, and then in, uh, that was 72-73. Then in 77-78, you won the national championship. Well, we'd been to the final game in 75 and lost to Coach Wooden in the last game that he ever coached. And then uh, we won the NIT the next year with an entirely new group. And then uh, in 77, 
we went to the final eight. North Carolina beat us. And then in 78, we went all the way. Did you realize that that 78 team was good enough to win it all? Uh, I thought the 77 team was good enough. But uh, certainly the 78 team, we uh, got Cal Macy that year. and uh, But we had Larry Johnson the year before, was a great guard for us. And uh, he graduated, and Macy came in and was a great leader for us. In that championship game, Jack Givens scores 41 points, had one of the, the great games in uh, title history. Was that about as good as you've seen in your career? Yes, indeed. It was, uh, but it was, uh, it was a team effort also. It was, uh, the players going into the finals, the final four, we had to have a different hero in each game. And uh, when they got to that final game, the way Duke was playing their zone, it left an opening for Jack, and the players recognized that, and we went to him purposefully. Who was the toughest coach you had to go up against? Uh, there were uh, many, many great coaches. Uh, gosh, I couldn't name them all, of course. Hank Iba was definitely one. Dean Smith was one. Bobby Knight. Uh, there were many, many. Jack Hartman was a great coach. And I thought he was, Ned Wilk was a great coach. Uh, gosh, uh, um, Ray Mears at Tennessee was a great coach. There were many, many good coaches. The SEC had a lot of good coaches, Roy Skinner, Norm Sloan, C.M. Newton. Just, uh, I had great respect for all the coaches. Anyone that gets works their way up to a job at that level, they know what they're doing. Now, with a heralded program such as Kentucky's, did you lose a lot of recruits? Uh, what do you mean? Uh, in uh, well, high school seniors? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We lost uh, We lost some to the pros. Back then, uh, they could draft high school players. We lost some to them. We lost uh, – we didn't get all the great ones. We got a lot of good ones. But, uh, no, we did, we lost some. Is there one that you think was your biggest loss? I think Ralph Sampson was a kid that, uh, had committed to us. And, uh, right up until his final announcement, we thought he was coming to Kentucky. And, uh, uh, Moses Malone was a kid that, uh, we had hopes for. And uh, Daryl Dawkins, who went pro, and uh, there Bill Willoughby uh, went pro out of high school. We had him signed, and uh, yeah, you you always lose some. You get some that you didn't expect to get, and you lose some that you'd hope to get. Out of your whole career, can you? Is there one player that you coach that you enjoyed the most? 
No, no, I enjoyed all of them. I, I tell people that the kids of feathers down the bench were probably my favorites. Guys who didn't play that much, uh, Jerry Hale, Ray Hadleman, Larry Johnson, Marion Haskins, those guys were just great contributors. They didn't get the All-American honors, but uh, all of those kids were just super contributors. And, uh, of course, everybody recognizes the All-Americans, the Sam Bowie's and the Kevin Greeneys, the Rick Rowley's, the Cal Macy's. They, uh, they, Kenny Walker's, uh, they get the recognition and the publicity, but all of those kids were great contributors. The team I remember was that 83-84 team when you had the Twin Towers there and Sam Bowie and Melvin Turpin. Bowie and Turpin, yes. That was a good bunch. Had Kenny Walker, had Winston Bennett, Jim Master, I Roger thought, Harden. I thought you were going to win it that year. Yeah, we we had beaten Houston earlier in the year with Elijah Warren, and uh, we felt if we beat Georgetown that uh, we had a good chance to win it all. And then uh, one of those strange things happened. We were leading seven at halftime, and then we shot three of 33 from the floor of the second half after shooting 50% the first half. Just a phenomena. Give the credit to Georgetown. Uh, they played great defense, but we missed shots that uh, grade school kids could have made. I was going to say, almost David and I almost could do that good or that yeah, poorly. It, uh, I accuse the physicists at Georgetown University, their professors inventing some kind of ray that uh, put a shield over our basket. But Raleigh Massimino got revenge on them a couple of years later. Yeah, he shot the lights out. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you see games like that and you say, okay, there's some games or some halves where everything goes right or everything goes wrong, and it's – it's just amazing how a team can be so fantastic and then be so fantastically bad. And you say it's the yeah. same players, it's the same gymnasium, and, you know, tough to explain. Well, yeah, it, uh, it's one of those things as a coach, you have nightmares waking up at night thinking about being in, unable to score. Could you have coached in today's game? Could what? Could you have coached in today's no. game? No way. Maybe if I had stayed in coaching and it evolved with the game as it has, but uh, stepping in now, I wouldn't have an idea how to coach. The dribble drive and the pick and roll and not running set plays and options off of said offenses, I, I don't know if they'd work today. You never see anybody run it. 
So everybody's doing the same thing. So evidently, defenses that force teams into playing the style that they're playing. And that's been the evolution of the game. With Kentucky, you get a lot of kids come in and they'll be one and done, one and done. And it's like that the roster changes over every season instead of, you know, every two or three seasons. Is that good for the game of college basketball? I think it's terrible. And uh, I think it's hurt college basketball more than anything ever in the past. The game was so good and uh, kids were either going pro out of high school and so then you had kids going all the way through getting their degrees, playing out their eligibility of four years. They developed the finesse and the uh, the final touches of of their game to where it was a beautiful game to see and watch. And you got to know your players, your fans, became so well acquainted with them and following your over a four-year period. And uh, to have lost that and uh, gone away from that kind of uh, maturity that you saw in teams back then and getting uh, to see the talent of those players as they developed. And I think we're missing that now. But it doesn't mean that uh, there aren't good teams. There are plenty of good teams. But uh, they they just don't play the same as they did back when you had great players with a lot of maturity and experience. Did you ever think about getting back into coaching after you were done at Kentucky? Never. I loved it every minute. I coached for 30 years. I never had a day of work in those 30 years, and uh, really I haven't since. I've uh, been a banker. I did radio and television. I still do a radio show, and uh, I love everything I do. But I never thought that I could ever go anywhere after being the coach at Kentucky. That was the, there was no place that attracted me after that experience. Another former Kentucky player is a banker. Isn't Frank Ramsey a banker? Yeah, Frank owned a bank down there. Well, he still does in uh, Dixon, Kentucky. He says he's still got the Confederate money in the vault. I believe it. (laughs) So are you a Kentucky colonel? Sir? Are you a Kentucky colonel? Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm very proud of that. What about your uh, friend, your co-host of the radio show, Denny Crum? Did he get that honor? Oh, yes. Yeah, Denny is a great guy. Well, he must be. If he get, like, if For the Joe B. and Denny show, if he gives you top billing. Or, <laughs> well, I, I was the one that came up with the idea. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I assume that's pretty well received show. Yeah, among, yeah it's among very the popular, and we uh, we have a great time doing it. 
Demi and I have a lot of fun with it, and it's it's kept us busy. Gets me out of my pajamas every morning, some place to go, something to do, a deadline that you have to meet, and that's uh, been very good. And the fifteenth of this month will be our tenth year. And you're getting honored tonight with uh, the 1977 team, right? The uh, 78 team. 77, 78, right? Yeah. Yes. They're uh, they an artist has uh, uh, painted a picture of the team, <clears throat> a poster-like picture painting, and he's uh, unveiling it tonight before the game. And uh, uh, several of the 78 players are going to be there. And you also have your own statue, right? Yeah, there is a statue of me outside the the coal lodge where the players live. I just can't. What's, what's it like that? What's it like to have your own statue and walk past it and say? Well, I worry about him during all this cold weather. <laughs> he looks uh, he looks very lonely out there. He's uh, actually in a game pose, sitting on the bench with a rolled up program in his hand. And uh, I just I think somebody ought to put a heater out there by. <laughs> They should have a statue of Adolf Rupp on one side and then eventually John Calipari on the other. Yeah, that would be nice. The three amigos, or not three stooges. (laughs) (laughs) They would probably be labeled that. (laughs) I just can't picture, I mean, you and Denny Crum have your own show, you're great friends. I just can't picture that work in Indiana with Bobby Knight and Gene Cady. Oh, I don't know. You'd be surprised. <laughs> there is a certain camaraderie or camaraderie among coaches. Uh, we all suffer the same slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, and we all go through the ups and downs, and uh, we sympathize with each other. I, I think that's the first time on our show we've ever had anybody quote Shakespeare in Hamlet's soliloquy, but uh, thank, thank you for adding a little culture to our, our, our normally culture-free show. There's I don't the usually Hall. do that, David. <laughs> well, it showed you must have been paying attention somewhere in English class once upon a time. <laughs> There's also the Joe B. Hall Award, which is given to the top first-year coach. What's it like to have an award like that named after you? Well, I think that's a wonderful award that uh, a young coach that steps up, distinguishes himself in his first job. Uh, I think uh, recognizing that is something very special. Do you pick the winner? I'd have a committee that picks a winner that does it for another edition of sports and torts on talkzone.com i'd like to thank our guest playboy playmate Britt lynn and former kentucky basketball coach joe b hall and our executive producer dave olson so on behalf of david spada and me elliot harris thanks for tuning in and see you again next time on sports and torts on talkzone.com